Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. Okay, I, I want to save our announcements for the end. Um, I just want to slip right on into the message this morning. So here we are at Advent. These are the four weeks that lead up to, to Christmas, the four Sundays that lead up to the coming of Jesus' birth that we remember on December 25th. And I want to talk a little bit about this. Um, Mark Twain said it this way, and this will make sense here in just a moment. History doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. History doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. Now, the reason I lead with that quote is because what we're going to be doing here over the next few weeks is actually looking at the book of Ruth. Now, you would think, why are we doing the book of Ruth during the four weeks that lead up to Christmas? Well, it's because history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And if you don't know the book of Ruth yet, that's okay. We'll we'll unfold it here in the next few weeks. But I just want you to think about this for just a moment. The book of Ruth is centered on the faithfulness of one woman, Ruth. And what she did changed the course of her own history and the history of God's people, much as several hundred years later, the faithfulness of one woman, Mary, would change the course of history and our history as well. Okay. So there's the faithfulness of one woman. There's also the echo of Bethlehem, the events that happen in the book of Ruth. And you know, that's got to trigger something with you. It happens in this little town seven miles south of Jerusalem called Bethlehem. Not only would that be where Ruth's life was unfolding, but that would also be where the whole Mary and Joseph thing would happen. But here's probably the most profound rhyme that I want you to hear. Ruth was in pain. And we often think that pain is a pronouncement of God's condemnation on us. But I want you to hear this. Pain is where God often fulfills His plan. And Ruth's story is a story of pain, much as Mary and Joseph. You know, often we idealize the the coming of Jesus as Christmas with wonderful, beautiful nativity scenes, but it was anything but. Imagine traveling during your pregnancy. Imagine being exiles for years as a result of what happens. So oftentimes, God's plan unfolds in the middle of pain. Happened with Ruth. It would happen with Mary. History doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. But here's probably the best connection I can make. It's actually from Ruth that we would get the lineage that would lead us to King David. So, Ruth's story is about the coming of a king. So was Mary's story, the coming of a king. History doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. So, I want you to look at a picture with me for just a moment. This picture was taken in 1838 in Paris by Louis Daguerre. If you heard of the daguerreotype, it's the early prototype of a photograph, not the same exact technology, but he takes a picture of a Paris street. Now, what you need to know, in order to take this picture, it was a a time-lapse image. In other words, he had to expose the plate for about 10 minutes as the image ingrained itself on the plate, 
And it looks like an empty street, but it actually wasn't. There were a lot of people walking up and down this Paris street, but because it was a time exposure, none of their images stuck except one person. You could see it at about the nine o'clock position on the photo, but in the exact 10 minutes that this photo was taken, there was a man getting his shoes shined. And for 10 minutes, he stood there, and his image was ingrained on the daguerreotype. This is the first photograph of any human being, the first photograph of a person. Now, what I find interesting about this is this person made history and didn't even know it. That's Ruth. Ruth was making history. She didn't know it, and it wasn't important that she knew it. All she could feel was the pain, but it was actually God's plan that she didn't know in her confusion that God was bringing about a king. She was making history and didn't know it. History doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. As what happened with Ruth, what happened with Mary and Joseph, and God may be doing the same thing in our own lives today. So, here's what we're going to do. Every Sunday for Advent, the four Sundays, we're going to read a chapter of Ruth. Now, if you're like me, I'm, I'm pretty time sensitive. I want to know how long is this going to take, right? So, each chapter takes about three, three and a half minutes to read. Okay, now I want to coach you here because Marissa's going to read it. I think it's very appropriate that we hear a female voice read this to us because it's the story of a woman. But I want to coach you as we read Ruth chapter 1 not to zone out. That's the way most of us have Scripture read to us. We just kind of zone out. I want to encourage you to use your imagination. If there's a young widow that you know, would you picture her as Ruth? Would you actually picture a face in your mind and in your mind kind of play out a movie scene as you hear these things happening? But I'd also encourage you just pick up on maybe one word or one phrase that God drives deep into your heart, would you listen carefully to the reading of Scripture this morning? Marissa. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? 
Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Would you say thanks be to God with me? Thanks be to God. All right, so it was in the time of the judges. In fact, if you have your Bibles and you're looking at the book of Ruth, just on the opposite page, you'll see the book right before that is called Judges. All right, so this was a very difficult time in the history of Israel. After Moses brought the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery, he took them across the desert for 40 years, and then Joshua brought them into the Promised Land. After the death of Joshua, there was about a 200-year gap between Joshua and the birth of, or excuse me, the reign of King Saul. So between Joshua and the first kings of Israel, there was this 200-year gap that was called the Era of the Judges, and it was just a messed up time. It was a time of moral confusion. It was a time of spiritual compromise. In fact, the refrain from the book of Judges said, everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king in Israel. So again, have you already heard me say that history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes? When we live in a time of confusion, when we live in a time of chaos, that is nothing new. So in the middle of this spiritual compromise, this moral confusion, there's this beautiful story of Ruth that we're going to see. Uh, I read this week about Edward Manet. Edward Manet was an artist. He painted these huge pictures, these beautiful landscapes that he was very critical about, that he, he didn't really like the way that they turned out, right? So what he would often do on these large canvases, he would go back and find just a small section that he really did like, and he would cut it out. In fact, there's a portrait or there's a picture hanging in the Cincinnati Museum of Art that is an Edward Manet, and it's only 17 by 13 inches, but it was a part of a larger canvas that here we had this this big old canvas. Stay with me this morning. 
we had this big old canvas that he wasn't pleased with, but he cut out one beautiful section. That's what I feel about Ruth. That here we have the book of Judges, this time of chaos, this time of compromise. But there's one beautiful picture about Ruth that is a masterpiece that we get to behold. So it was in the time of Judges. One word that stood out to me as I read through this over and over again was in verse 5, that Naomi, after she moved to Moab with her sons, with her husband, they all died. And there's one little word in verse 5. It's the word without. She was now without. Everything she left home with was gone. So if you trace Naomi's lineage back into the Older Testament, you come to the person of Caleb. If you remember Caleb and Joshua when they went into the Promised Land, Caleb was a faithful person even up to the very last, up to the very end of life. He was still following God. So this is part of Caleb's family, but as happens in any family, you have the part of the family that is rich and successful, and you have the part of the family that is not so well off and just a little bit poor, okay? So how many of you in here, you probably have a big extended family, how many of you are, I'm not going to say if you're the rich part of the family, but if you're the poor part of your family, raise your hand. If you kind of have a fluent family and you're kind of the poor part, right? Okay, so maybe all of these, you're not raising your hand, you're all the rich people, move away from them right now, okay? How many of you have no rich part of your family? Let me see your hand, okay? Yeah, that's, that's me too. Spoos are just a bunch of dirt farmers going on back to time and memorial, right? So here you had two parts of the family. There would be an affluent part of Caleb's family. We'll meet them later. That'll be Boaz's family. But here you just have the poor part of the family. By the way, have you heard me say yet this morning that history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme? Mary and Joseph were very, very poor. There are several hints and indicators giving of that. Isn't it interesting? God was born into the poor part of the family. And so now there's a part of this that I really want to explain that we need to understand before we go any further, and that's the concept of Leverite marriage. Because now that Naomi is left without, her, son is, her, excuse me, her husband has died, her two sons have died, and she turns to her daughter-in-laws that are still with her as she's returning back to Bethlehem. She says, I've got nothing left to offer you. What are you going to do? Are you going to wait till I remarry? And even if I had kids tonight, would you wait until he's grown? What does all this mean? In the Older Testament, there was what was called Leverite marriage, okay? Leverite marriage meant that once a woman married into a family, she belonged to that family. Now, what I'm about to tell you is going to sound a little creepy, but actually it's meant to be an act of compassion. Once she married into that family, that family said, we are not letting you go. Even so much that if your husband dies, you will marry the next older brother. Okay, now that does sound a little creepy. That sounds odd to our cultural ears, but you have to realize there was no backup plan for a woman in that culture. There was no other support that she could have. And so Naomi, now with two dead sons, she turns to her daughter-in-laws and go, I got nothing else to give you. That's it. Even if I were to marry tonight and have another child, it's going to be a good 
17, 18 years till he grows up, till he's a man. Are you going to wait around for him? I've got nothing left to offer you. So daughters-in-law, I'm moving back to Israel. You're from Moab. Why don't you stay here? Go back to your father's house. Maybe somebody will take you in, in your family of origin. One person takes her up on that, Orpah. Now, Orpah goes back to the Moabite people. She disappears from the pages of history. I'm not going to say what she did was wrong, but I'm going to say what she did wasn't best, okay? She went back the way she came, and she disappears. Can I give you just two pieces of trivia about Orpah? Actually, there would be a woman born in our last century whose family wanted to give her a very unique name, but they just misspelled those words, just kind of got those letters transposed, and we know her as Oprah. You didn't know that, did you? Glad you came to church now, aren't you? Okay. The other thing about Orpah is if you walk down 4th Street from our church down to the BOK Center, on the left, there's a little tavern called Orpah's Lounge. So apparently what happened after Orpah turned away from Naomi, she moved to Tulsa, <laughs> opened a little CD bar and grill down the, down the road. Don't ask me how I know it's on the left. I just know it's on the… I've walked past it many times, right? So that's Orpah. She disappears. But then there's Ruth, and she gives this incredible statement of faith. In fact, it is probably the most famous verse from the book of Ruth. Would you look at it again? It's in verse 16. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Marshall Ney was one of the generals under Napoleon. In 1815, he was convicted of treason. Now, he didn't actually commit treason. Napoleon was just done with him and put him in front of the firing squad. But Marshal Ney, he commanded these men that were about to shoot him. So you know what he did? He said, I'm the leader of these men. I will give the command for the execution. He refused to be blindfolded. He lined up his men. He put them in order. He said, men, he gave his final command, aim at my heart. Don't miss, I command you. Ready, aim, fire. He gave the command for his own execution. That's the kind of bravery that he had. Here we see the bravery of Ruth. She said, even if it means my own death, I'm going to throw in my lot with you, whatever that means. Even if death happens, that will not separate me from you. So we're going to make some broad brush applications here in just a moment. I'm going to stop here for just a second. And this is one thing that we're going to dive into. It's often in the pain that God fulfills His plan. Naomi is wrong. In fact, if you look at verse 16 and back up just a bit to verse 13, she says, the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Now, I think it's very important when you feel that way to acknowledge it. And what have we been learning in our pause app? Name your emotion, acknowledge it, and invite Jesus into it. 
I'm not saying it's wrong for Naomi to say this. I'm, I'm saying she's wrong in her conclusion. She says, the hand of the Lord has turned against me. She's wrong. Maybe you've read about Dustin Prosita. He lives in Nevada, Nevada County, California. He lives in a very sparse, sparsely populated neighborhood. In fact, the county which he lives in is one of the sparsely populated counties in the world. And a meteorite hit his house <laughs> out of the middle of nowhere. In fact, a neighboring security cam picked this up. There's a meteorite that comes out of the sky. It's almost comedic, and it just completely demolishes his house. Talking to people, to scientists, they said it was a one in four trillion chance. You know what Dustin Procida said in response to that? He said, I'm about to go out and buy a lottery ticket. Right. Sometimes it seems all the odds are turned against you. But would you remember that it's often in your pain that God is fulfilling His plan? So, let's make an application about Naomi. Let's make an application about Ruth. And let's make an application about you. Naomi was wrong about God. The hand of the Lord has turned against me. And there might be, in this room, I don't know if there's three, four hundred people in here this morning. Ministerially speaking, we're going to count it as 1,500, but just, you know, there's probably three, four hundred people in here this morning. There's at least one of you. You're in here today and you have no idea what God is doing. And instead of things getting better, they're getting worse, or they're just not moving at all. And you wonder in all the pain if God has forgotten about you. I'm not saying all of you. I'm saying statistically there's probably one or two of you in here today. Could it be that you are wrong about God, that when life has got you down, that God is actually up to something new? You've just got to hang on. Could I encourage you just to hang on today? There's actually a psychological complex called giving up, given up complex. That somebody, because of health or because of their situation, they just completely give up. If that's you, don't. Hang on. You're just in chapter one, and there's a much bigger story that's about to unfold. Naomi was wrong about God, and you might be too. Second application, this is about Ruth. Ruth was about to undergo a profound personal transformation. If you follow out what happens here in the book of Ruth, she's given several titles, and you kind of have to read the whole thing and underline them as you go. She starts out as a Moabite. Then in the next chapter, Naomi would call her my daughter. In fact, Boaz would call her that as well. Then she would become a woman, then she would become a wife, and then she would become a mother. And it's this transformation that happens. She starts out as a Moabite and ends up as a wife and a mother. This is a transformation that happens to her only because she walked through the painful events of life. And that's what God is doing with you too. James chapter 1, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you endure trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. The only way we become like Christ is through crisis. 
I wish it felt better than that, but that's just the case. So what is God doing in our lives? Here's what He's doing with all of us. He wants us to become more like Jesus. And so He will introduce anything into our lives to help that eventuality to happen. The thing is, we can reject it. Instead of becoming better, we can become bitter. Instead of becoming Christ-like, we can become callous. But the choice is yours. Will you be transformed by what happens in life or deformed by what happens in life? So that's Naomi. That's Ruth. Let me come down to you. Attach your life to people moving in the right direction. For me, that's the, the big walk away of all of this. That like Orpah, she kind of disappears into the dark pages of history. And again, I'm not going to say what she did was wrong. What she did was actually common sense. But sometimes faith causes… By the way, have you ever heard of common sense referred to as a superpower? Because some people simply don't have it, right? Common sense is a good thing. But then there are times where your faith will fly in the face of common sense. That's what Orpah does. She, she moves into the realm of common sense. It doesn't make sense. I, there's no future for me here. I'm going to go away. But Ruth, she attaches her life to Naomi because Naomi is moving in the right direction. I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I think I need to say it quite often. Don't walk away from the shepherd at the time that you need him most. These are difficult days. These are challenging days. Attach your life to Jesus. Follow him. He's moving in the right direction. And I would also encourage you, attach your life to followers of Jesus. Not that we're perfect, but we're trying to move in the right direction. If ever an animal gets separated from the herd, it's easy pickings. We need the collective security that comes with being a part of a family of God. Would you just hear this over you? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green fields. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Even though I walk through the darkest of valleys, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Attach your life to the Lord and to His people and keep moving in the right direction. Bit of an unusual name, Burley Law. <laughs> Burley Law served, I'm just going to read this, he served as a jungle pilot in Central Africa. One day he took off in clear skies, but shortly after he noticed thunderclouds in the distance. These thunderclouds rushed together at startling speeds, so Burley, being an expert pilot, he frantically searched for an airstrip, but there was nowhere to land. So openings appeared in the clouds here and there, and he kept turning his plane toward them, following little patches of blue in between the storm clouds. It was like a needle threading its way through fabric. Burley was lost in the skies, depending entirely on visible navigation. 
But finally, spotting a little landing strip, he made it safely to the ground. After he landed, a vehicle raced up toward the plane, and a nurse jumped out and ran to the plane shouting, I don't know where you came from, but I know you're an answer to our prayers. This woman was staying with a missionary couple who had been isolated on a remote station for months. The unsettled political situation had let them cut off from outside communication. The roads were impassable. The bridges were out. The missionary wife had become ill with fever and possible rabies. That morning, they had called together the Christians of the village, and the church had earnestly prayed for God's guidance. That day, the Lord arranged the storm clouds to direct and to guide Burley Law and his little plane to that one spot on earth. Here's the last point I want to leave you with. He will use the clouds to direct your path. He will use the clouds to direct your path. History doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes with Ruth, with Jesus, and with you. Let's stand together and pray together. So, Father, it's kind of a cliffhanger here. At the end of chapter 1, we see the barley harvest coming in. That shows that maybe the end of the famine is near, and there might be hope for a new day. That's what I pray for this morning, that as we look at our own lives, maybe it's not the end, maybe it's just the end of the first chapter, and there's a harvest about to come in. Indeed, in Bethlehem, there is bread to be had. I pray for those who are famine-stricken and famished in their spirit. That this morning you would feed them. That you would feed us. To know that the pain is actually a fulfillment of your plan. To see a king come into our world and into our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to give you an invitation this morning, and it's an invitation not to wait. So as we sing here in just a moment, if you need somebody to pray over you, you get out right from where you are, and you join me in the follow-up room right over here. If you've been putting off God for far too long, you move from where you are right now. It may be that you need to say yes to Jesus for the first and only time in your life. You have been putting him off. You've been planning to follow Jesus, but you've never followed Jesus. This morning is the opportunity to, to do that. Maybe you have never been baptized. You've said yes to Jesus on the inside, but there's never been that defining moment in your life. I challenge you today to step out and to step up and to follow him with all that you are. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.